0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska, that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. We're in 1 Peter. We're going to begin in verse 22. We're going to work our way down all the way through verse 3 of chapter 2. So we're going to crack into chapter 2 finally. So beginning in verse 22 of chapter 1, Peter says this. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted it. That the Lord is good. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Would you join me in prayer before I preach? Father, when we come before you this morning, God, we ask that you would come speak to us. Father, we recognize that you are holy, you are good, you are patient, you're kind, you're gracious, you're merciful, you're loving, you are faithful. Father, you have actively loved us so well in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I stand before you this morning knowing that there's no way that I can preach this word without your help. So, God, ask that your spirit would come, be released to move, to hover, to speak, to mend, to wound, even, to strengthen, and to encourage. Lord, please turn us to the work of Your Son, Jesus, at the cross. Help us to understand what it means to be loved by You and to extend that same love to others around us. God, we do love You. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. You may be seated. It is interesting on this Valentine's Day that uh, we would be in a text that actually does center around the theme of love, right? couldn't plan that very well if I tried, and I didn't try. But when you think about the word love, it's an interesting word, really, right? It's an interesting word because it's a word that can be used to express an emotion or a feeling. Think about this with me for a minute. Uh, when, when you or I say something like, oh, I love that color, or... I love that truck, or I love that person, what we're doing is we're, we're expressing an emotion or a feeling, okay? But the word love can also be used to describe an action. When, when you and I say something like, I am going to love my spouse until the day I die, or I'm going to love my child unconditionally, Or if I say something like, I'm going to love my family and my friends with every ounce of energy that I have, then what am I doing? I'm using the word love as a verb, right? Old DC Talk song. If you've never heard it, you ought to look it up. Love is a Verb. It's an awesome song. I remember hearing it when I was a kid. I had it on cassette. I put it in my old station wagon. It was a little baby blue station wagon with a wood paneling down the side. I did not love that car, okay? I did not love that car, but I did have that cassette tape. Kids, if you don't know what cassette tape is, you ought to go look one up. I'm pretty sure they're probably like collector's items these days. If You want to go way back, when I was even younger than that, my dad would tell you he had an a track collection. Center console in the middle of that stupid station wagon <laughs> that I did not love. Um, I believe he might have had DC Talk on 8-Track. I'll have to call him and ask him. Love is a verb, though. Uh, It can be a verb or it can be used to express or describe an emotion or a feeling, right? Just think about emotions and feelings for a minute. Really, emotions and feelings are fleeting, don't you agree? They're fleeting. The truck that I love today may no longer be the truck that I love tomorrow, such as today. Because my truck didn't start this morning, so (laughs) I wasn't very in love with my truck this morning. Emotions and feelings are fleeting. But when I use this word love to describe uh, the way that I'm going to relate to other people, when I use the word love as a verb, um, then serious questions arise, don't they? Think about this. A serious question kind of starts to bubble to the surface when you say, I'm going to make a commitment to actively love as a verb, someone else. I'm going to act and behave in ways that are loving to them. And the serious question that kind of bubbles to the top is this question that all of us have probably asked over and over and over again. When I don't feel like I love somebody, how do I still actually love them? Right? When the feeling of love is gone, how do you actively love someone? How do I continue to love people around me, even though every ounce of my emotions, every ounce of my feelings say something completely different, right? Well, my feelings and my emotions don't wreak love towards someone, but more like frustration or or, or anger, right? Or just, I don't know, the word disdain comes to my mind. I don't even know why, because disdain... I, don't, I even, don't even know the meaning. I can just feel it, you know? You just feel what disdain is like, right? Um, when the emotions don't jive with the actions that I am called to make or have, been, or have committed to make, then what do we do? How do we do that? Now, I would argue if you were to open the Bible and do a word study on the word love all throughout, you're going to find the word for love in the Bible um, overwhelmingly used not to describe feelings, but to describe actions or, or even a list of actions in regards to how we live out our relationships with God and other people. Okay, Overwhelmingly. I don't have the number in front of me, but I would tell you, uh, from my experience, is that's what you would find. The overwhelming amount of those words is used to describe an action. Not a feeling, not an, not an emotion. It's not very often that it conveys an emotion or a feeling. The question still remains then, if we know that, we know the Bible speaks to love as an action, not a noun necessarily, or not, a, not an adjective necessarily describes emotion, the question still remains, how do I actively love someone when my emotions and my feelings don't give me the, uh, the juice, so to speak, that I need to do so? I like, think about this, I'm sure that we all in this room kind of understand the concept of, um, um, of, of emotions and feelings and the energy that an emotion or a feeling can give you, right? Think about the energy that an emotion or a feeling gives you. you get, An emotional high, or you get an emotional low, right? Think about the things you can do when you are running on an emotional high. Think about the things that are really hard for you to do when you're kind of on an emotional low, right? We know that life can be very much like an emotional roller coaster. So when that roller coaster is way up here, man, you can run through walls, right? But when you're way down here... You'd be lucky to even get yourself out of bed in the morning, right? Emotions do have an awful lot to do with how we live our lives. Think about it this way, like, like if, I'm, if I'm kind of in the emotional high of, be, of talking to a friend that I haven't talked to in years maybe, like just kind of a long lost friend that calls up out of the blue and I'm like, oh man, it's been a long time since I talked to you and I'm excited to talk to that person, I could stay on the phone with that person for hours. But if I get the same phone call from a different person who has hurt me really deeply, I'm not in an emotional high anymore. I'm in an emotional low. That conversation is going to be really hard to stay engaged with. Agreed? I'm sure we've all experienced things like this. Really, if, we, if you really want to kind of like dig into this a little bit more, you think biblically about this not just emotionally but you think biblically about this for a minute again uh, the problem for us most of us kind of know this if you know the story of the bible the problem for us is that our ability to love has really been jacked up from the start been jacked up since the garden of eden back in the beginning in genesis which ironically means beginning right so back in genesis in the garden of eden Things got jacked up, right? What does God do? God creates Adam and Eve, right? Creates them to be together, and what does he tell them? He basically tells them, hey, I am going to love you unconditionally, eternally. And all that I'm going to ask of you is that you express your love to me through your obedience to the boundaries of our relationship, right? Right? Now, he's not saying, I'm going to love you more or less if you stay inside or step outside those boundaries. He's simply making an agreement with us, saying, with Adam and Eve, which then extends to us, he's just simply saying, hey, I'm going to love you unconditionally, regardless of what you do. And all I'm asking of you, commanding you, you might say, is stay inside the boundaries of the relationship and keep things healthy. Prove your love to me. Show your love to me in the way that you live inside those boundaries and what follows out of that story what follows out of that story is how mankind from the get-go has continuously jacked this thing up in terms of love by trading listen close by trading the concept of active living breathing love we've traded that whole box of ooey goodness we traded that for this cheap substitute of these fleeting emotional love Read the story, right? When Adam and Eve saw the fruit of the tree of good and evil, right? When they saw that fruit and they thought, man, that looks tasty. What was happening? An emotional thing was happening back in the brainstem of their their mind, right? A little bit of juice was dropping. That looks good. That looks tasty. That looks awesome. I crave that. They saw that it looked good. They thought it would taste better. So what did they do? They tasted it and thought, mmm, this tastes good, right? You know what happened shortly after that? What happened? They recognized that they played outside the boundaries of a loving relationship with their Father in Heaven. And what did they do? They ran and hid. And they got a bunch of their own clothes and tried to cover up their nakedness and their shame. And from that point forward, it's been a story over and over and over again. Of us trying to cover our shame, cover our guilt, cover our sin. Because we fail over and over and over again to love God the way that he has loved us. It's something that has infected all of humanity. I call it a love dysfunction. Family Force 5 has a song about this if y'all are interested in that. I'm all, I'm all about the songs this morning, okay? Um, I think it's called Love Addict. It is. I haven't heard that song in forever, so if you've never heard that song and you're in for like a good like half-rap, half-rock kind of a tune that talks about everything I'm going to talk about today, go listen to that song too. So there's two songs for you. Homework. Got yeah, homework, okay? First one was DC Talk. Second one is uh, Family Force 5, Love Addict. Go listen to those two songs on Valentine's Day. It would be good. I can see Kim over there singing it in her mind. So um, I love to call this a, a love dysfunction. That's, that's what we have. We have a love dysfunction, and we are addicted We are addicted to to a box full of love that isn't true, biblical, godly love. The kind of addiction that we have to the kind of love that we have is centered on our feelings, listen, feelings, emotions, and transactions, okay? Those are really probably important words to write down at some point or at least get stuck in your mind. We are addicted to the kind of love that centers around feelings emotions and transactions rather than the instructions of god's word here's what i mean what we do is we trade the activity of loving god and loving others we trade that activity for a momentary feeling on a daily basis now listen you don't have to be a porn addict to be the person that does that right you can be if you are struggling with porn addiction that's what you're doing but you don't have to be there. You can just be in a place where you are addicted to your social media feed. And what are you doing? Trading trading an active ability to love God for a momentary feeling. That's just two ends of the spectrum. Peter knows this. Peter doesn't know about social media feeds or DC Talk or Family Force 5. But he does know, what he does know, is the theological meaning of love in the scriptures. Peter does know that. And because he knows that, he wants Christians everywhere, all of us, to be people that are known for living our lives in such a way that we actually demonstrate God's love. His main thought in this section of text as we're looking at it is simply this. If you and I have found a new life in Christ Jesus, then what are we to do? We are to express that new life in a way that we actively love others around us. But that brings us back to the question that I think we all wrestle with. How do we love others when life gets hard? How do we love someone who has hurt us? When, when, you're, when your emotional gas tank is running on E in the morning, how do you Love someone. When, when you've had it like up to here, anybody know what that's like to have it up to here with somebody? And be like, I don't freaking love you right now. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to love you right now. So I'm going to walk out the door for a little bit and cool off in the snow and six below zero temperatures before I go ballistic on you, right? We all know those moments. How do you do that? How do you love In those moments, how do you stay actively engaged in loving other people when every ounce of your being just wants to run away and hide? How do you keep uh, actively loving God and loving other people when you are tempted to go looking in the gutter for some kind of cheap semblance of the emotional love? That the momentary feeling, that when that momentary feeling passes, you're now left with guilt and shame, right? How do you, how do, you do this? How do you walk in this tangled up web of love? And Peter begins by basically saying that active love begins with obedience to the truth of the gospel. It's the first thing he says in verse 22. Active love begins with obedience to the truth of the gospel, okay? So look at the verses with me again. Notice how Peter begins in verse 22. Take a look at it with me. What does he say? He says, having, it's an interesting word, right? Having, it's kind of a sense of you're doing this. You've already done this, right? So it's not the kind of sense where he's like, hey, go purify your souls. He's saying, having, you've already done this. Having purified your souls by what? Your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Now he follows that with uh, more of a command. So since you've done this, now love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So take a look at that last phrase. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now break this down past the... uh, Past the sense of the, what you might say is like the, you go the sentence level, the phrase level, the word level, right? So now come down to the word level and pay attention to this one word. What does he say? He says, love one another earnestly. Look at the word earnestly. What does that word mean? Think about that word earnestly. The word earnestly simply means actively with commitment. Actively with commitment. This isn't the kind of passive, sitting back on the chair, hey, I love you. This is the active getting up out of the chair and doing something that proves your love for somebody, right? That's the kind of love he's talking about. The earnest kind of active love that is committed. See, the kind of love that Peter is talking about here, it's not the emotional love that depends on how you or I feel today. All right? He's not talking about the kind of love that is based on transaction. Meaning, I will do something for you if you do something for me. Or I will do something for you because you've done something for me. Right? It's not that kind of a love. The kind of love that, that Peter is talking about here is founded on a principle. What do you think the principle is? The principle is this. It's the principle, the truth that says that Jesus loved you and I through his death on a cross while you and I were unlovable. You and I weren't lovable when he died on the cross for us. Okay? We honestly were the ones he died for because of our sin he died. We were the ones that put the nail in his hands and his feet. We were the ones that jammed that crown of thorns down on his head. We were the ones that left those beating marks on his body. You see, the gospel of Christ crucified, risen and returning, that is the central truth that actually purifies the heart and the mind and the soul. And then that is is what actually enables us to love other unlovable people. Here's the thing. Without the gospel, without the gospel of Christ's sacrificial love for his enemies, then the only kind of love that you and I are going to be left with is a kind of worldly love that depends on emotions for motivation, feelings for qualification, transaction for justification. Let me say those phrases again. Without the gospel of Jesus' sacrificial love for you and I when we were so unlovable, when we were jacked up, then the only kind of love you're left with is a worldly love that actually relies, it depends on emotions to give us the motivation we need. It depends on feelings to qualify the kind of love we'll love you with. And it depends on the transaction that we're going to get in return for justifying our, our, our decision to either love or not love. Let me say this another way, because I still really want to hit on these three things, the emotions, the feelings, and the transaction. See, without the truth of the gospel, you're only going to love other people when your emotions tell you to. You know what that's called? That's called being emotionally out of control, because you're controlled by your emotions. Follow me? I had a counselor years ago, he asked me, he's like, when your mom says this, does it make you angry? Like, yes! When your wife does this, does that make you angry? Yes. Why do you let your emotions control you? Crap! I'm going to go home and suck my thumb now. Right? (laughs) Without the truth of the gospel, you're only going to love people when your emotions control you. Okay? Without the truth of the gospel, you're only going to love people when your feelings say it's okay. Without the truth of the gospel, you are only going to love people when you are certain that you actually get something in return for your investment. See, the truth of the gospel takes those perverted forms of love, turns them on their head, and redeems them and helps us to love the same way that Jesus loves. This is why Peter reminds his listeners that active love begins with obedience to the truth of the gospel. Look at what he says next in verses twenty-three through twenty-five. In verses twenty-three through twenty-five, Peter basically says that active love is cultivated by God's word. Right? Active love begins with the gospel, obedience to it, and then it is cultivated by God's word. Look at what he says in verses twenty-three through twenty-five. He says that we are to actively love one another since, notice that word since, what is that word since? Since, if you say it with a southern accent, since, sounds like you're saying sense. Sense. That word since is a conditional word, right? It doesn't mean the love is conditional, but he's saying since. Um, you actively love one another on the condition that you have been born again, right? So what's he saying he's saying well hey if you've been born again that's another way of saying it if is kind of a conditional word too or like i didn't know joe was like a like an elementary school teacher i'm not (laughs) i'm not that's karen's job back there middle school not elementary school get that straight and taylor even though she's not here i'm not um but words matter the meaning of words matter and the placement of words matter in the scriptures why because it's god's word right so sin, so you could say, hey, if you've been born again, actively love one another. If you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Meaning that if you are born again, if you trusted in Jesus, then you have trusted in something that will not die. Okay? Notice the seed word that's there as well. He's saying there's something growing. There's something growing that will not die if... You've been born again by the Word of God, right? Through the living and abiding Word of God. He finishes that sentence that way. For, for what? Look at what he says. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like flower of grass. Great, now we're into poetry. Right? So, so we've got instructions, and we've got poetry. just jammed right in the midst of that. All its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but... by contrast, right, by contrast, the word of the Lord, right here, the word of the Lord, remains forever. And this word, the word of the Lord, is what? The good news. You know what the word for good news is in the Bible? Anybody know? Gospel. Gospel. You guys are quick. Quick. Stars on your charts in heaven. Gospel, that's the word. Good news. Sometimes we just think it's just the Bible. It's just this dictionary full of a bunch of words. No, it's not. It's, It's much more than that, right? This word is the good news that was preached to you. It's the gospel that was preached to you. (coughs) So what's Peter saying? Peter's simply saying active love does begin with obedience to the truth of the gospel, but it also must be actively cultivated by God's word. So think of a picture of a rake. Cultivating. Stirring up the soil. That's what God's word does, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, if you come to God's Word, and you pick up your Bible in your home, and you brush the dust off, which, interestingly, Spurgeon said something like, a lot of Christians' Bibles got so much dust on them, you can write hell on it and know exactly where they're going. That's convicting. Like, whoa. Like, does it matter if I have, like, five Bibles in my closet, but I only read, like, one of them? No, that wasn't what Spurgeon was saying. Spurgeon was saying, get your nose in your Bible, get the ink stain on your nose, Get yourself in it. Start feeding on it and reading it, right? (laughs) Active love begins with obedience to the truth of the gospel, but it must be cultivated, raked about with God's word. When I hear God's word, when I read God's word, I'll tell you when I know that God's word is not doing what it's intended to do, it's when I just read it and then move on like nothing ever happened, right? Yeah. Anybody else have those days? I mean, I have those days. What's needed, I mean, you think about this in terms of like raking up, tilling up, cultivating a garden, you don't just go in there and just like till up the top layer of the dust and be like, eh, it's good. Throw some seed out of here. If you do, you are a horrible gardener, right? <laughs> you ain't going to get nothing to grow in that soil, are you? Like you got to actually get some sweat in the game. you probably got to shed a little bit of blood, get a few blisters on your toes and your hands, get some dirt under your fingernails, and do some good hard work on the soil. The problem for most of us Christians is we're stinking lazy, right? I read my little verse of the day. I'm out. I'm off to work because... I can't get my life in a place where I should be paying attention to God, right? When you pick up God's word, it should act like a rake. When you read it, it should get to the place where it kind of wrenches your heart a little bit. Not in just an emotional way, but where you start hearing from God, like it's kind of trashing your heart just a little bit. Raking it up, wrecking it up. If you know, not do that ain't nothing going to grow. Look at, the, look at the words again that he's using in, in, in this verses, in these verses. He says, since we have been born again through the living and remaining and eternal seed of the Word of God, the good news that was preached to us, then what? Then you and I actually, if we have been born again through that, if that seed is actually growing in us, then we actually have what it takes to actively love other people when our emotions and our feelings and our return on investment are dismal at best. That's what he's saying. See, if you and I, listen, if you and I only love people when it feels good, if we only love people when we get something in return, then what kind of love is that, right? It's a worldly kind of a love. It's a kind of love that's going to die. It's going to die right alongside of every other fleshly thing that eventually dies. If you have been born again, right? If you've been made into a new creation in Christ Jesus because of the message of the gospel that you have heard, if that is true of you, then, then what you can do is you can base your act of love on something that's never going to fade. It's never going to die. It's never going to run out. The Word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ according to the Word of God, right? Let me tell you a few things that Christians don't need that I um, get concerned oftentimes that Christians think they need. Here's what Christians don't need. Christians don't need the word of Oprah Winfrey. Anybody agree? Oh, I might have touched on something. <laughs> Christians don't need the word of Oprah Winfrey. You know what Christians really don't need? Is the word of some crazy politician. Okay? We don't, we don't need the word of politicians. Um, we don't need the word of whatever, I'll say, political pundit you keep listening to. You don't need the word of the news broadcast, anchorman, woman, whatever, you know, that's not the word that you need. You don't need the word of Facebook or Twitter. You don't need the word of Instagram. You Catch my drift? You don't need the word, <laughs> now this might drive you crazy too, like you don't need the word of popular online preachers like Joyce Meyer, or you, you don't even need the word of Charles Spurgeon. In fact, I would take this a step further. You don't need the word of Joe Marino either, do you? Right. I recognize we gather here, God's given me the gift of preaching, and that's my calling. You don't need the word of Joe Marino, right? You need the word of God, okay? That's what you need. You need the word of God. I need the word of God. I don't need my words. I put them on a blog. We put them in video form. We put them in audio form. Fine. Great. But we don't need the words of other mere humans. Our flesh is going to die. All the pop culture words in the world... All the words of every preacher, both good or bad, and I named some that are bad and maybe one that's good, Charles Spurgeon, okay? Um, (laughs) You don't need them. You need the Word of God because all those words from mere humans, they're going to die someday just like the grass in the wintertime. And when that grass dies, just like... Your love, if you base your love on human things, your love is going to grow cold. Your love is going to grow dead, right? That's what he's saying in this text. Just to illustrate that as best I can. We don't need words of mere men and women. What we need is the word of God on a daily basis, people. Okay? I know there's something to the whole idea of like, the keto diet and fasting and all those good things, like, that's one thing, right? It's based on nutritional value for your body. Now, you can tell, based upon my shape, which is not in shape, I say this all the time, based upon my shape, I don't watch my diet very well when it comes to human physical food. And I have my days where I don't watch it very close when it comes to spiritual food, namely, the Bible, right? Gospel. Gospel need to be in the Bible daily, reading it, consuming it, letting it cultivate our hearts, tear it up, wreck it up, so that things can actually grow in the soil. That's why Peter basically says in all this that active love is cultivated by God's Word. Look at number three. I love number three. Number three is one of my favorite parts of this. The other thing that active love must do is active love must take out the trash. Okay? You must take out the trash if you want anything to grow in the soil. This is where Peter gets really, really practical, okay? Everything up to this point has been kind of highly theological, a little bit philosophical, and now he just gets down in the dirt and his fingers are dirty right now. And he's taking trash out of the soil, right? He's very practical. He starts naming things that we need to get out of the soil of our hearts if we're going to actually love one another. And if we're going to do that, then what are we going to do? We're gonna to have to put away, he says. Look at it in verse one of chapter two. We're have to put away what all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all slander. Gotta take out the trash. Got to take out the trash of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Otherwise, what? You don't take out the trash. What's gonna happen? The flower of active love is not gonna grow in your life. Do okay? you want to know why you keep struggling? In those places of, of, of actually loving in a biblical way, the reason is, is you've got trash mixed up in the soil of your heart that you haven't dealt with yet. And the Holy Spirit would like to deal with that inside of you if you would let his word do the job of raking that stuff out. Okay? But the problem is, is we all like to hide. We all like to build our own set of clothes to kind of hide behind. We like to put our own little masks on to pretend like we're somebody that we're not. Because the pain and the shame and the guilt of dealing with the fact that, you know what, this is what I did. This is where I've been. This is the brokenness I've caused. This is the trash that's inside of my heart. We don't like to deal with that authentically, right? (coughs) See, when you cultivate the soil in a garden, you go back to the gardener picture, When you cultivate the soil in the garden, like I said, you have to remove the trash, right? Not only do you have to till up that dirt really well, shed some sweat, shed some blood, get some dirt under your fingernails. You also got to pick out the trash and the rocks. Because if you don't, ain't crap going to grow, right? And it's going to make the flower wilt. Stuff might grow up a little bit, but it only grows to a certain height. It doesn't become a full-blown, mature plant. You understand the images? It just gets this tall, and that's all the taller it's ever going to get. No matter how you try to dress that plant up and make it look like it's a full-grown adult plant, you're going to look at it, and you're going to be like, the flower on that plant, it's kind of purdy, but it's only like that big. And there should be this big or there should be a whole bunch more of those tiny little flowers. And the reason it only grows up and has one little itty-bitty tiny little flower on it is because you have not yet submitted and surrendered your heart to the word of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're playing a game. You're pretending to be a gardener when in reality, all you are is somebody who likes to kill plants. It sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> when you think about that. You've got to take the trash out. See, the activity of cultivating the soil of our hearts with the seeds of the truth of the gospel, on the one hand, that has to be accompanied by this other activity of taking the trash out. Otherwise, the flower of active love is never going to grow in your life. You think about the things that Peter says, get out of here, right? In my best Italian accent, get out of here. Think about the things that he talks about. I mean, these are really foundational things. Malice. Anybody got malice in their heart this morning? No, we would not want to admit that. What is malice? Malice is absolute hatred for someone. Who do you hate right now? Well, there's some of us that hate the Democrats on the other side of the aisle, and there's some of us who hate the Republicans on the other side of the aisle. I know that. That's an easy one, right? Even if you don't want to admit it, it's true. There's some of us that hate our kids right now, there's some of us that hate our spouse right now, or our ex spouse right now. There's some of us, that hate our boss right now. Or some of us, that hate our employees right now. Patrick did a really good job of walking through some of this in our sync meeting this morning. Malice is an intense hatred for someone. Now, you more passive types, right? I'm not passive. Just letting you know that in case you didn't know that already. There's really nothing passive about Joe. So it's all aggression. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that gives me a little self-control and other people around me to smack me outside the head when I'm being too aggressive, okay? But passive types, I say passive types in a really kind way, so please don't hear that in an over-aggressive way. Like just, if you're more of a passive type, then your hatred for someone may not be so outward. It may be more inward. The malice that you hold toward someone is tearing you up inside. You've been doing everything you could to pretend like everything's okay on the surface, but deep down inside, you literally would like to see that person die a horrible death. That's, that's malice. That, that's, that's the sense of hatred. Um, how about deceit? If you look at deceit, what is that? Because if we're going like to rake the stuff up out of the garden, right? If I tell you go get the plastic bags up out of the dirt in the garden, get the rocks, and you're like, I don't even know what those are and what they look like, I'd be really terrible if I was telling you to go get the trash out the garden, right? Look for some Burger King wrappers. I have a lot of those in my backyard because Burger King's right next door and stuff keeps blowing over my fence, which is now knocked over because of the snow. That's a bunny trail we don't need to go down, okay? But if, if I don't explain, like, what kind of trash you need to get out of that soil, I'm gonna do very good at this. So so what is deceit? We did some some work on malice. What what is deceit? Deceit, the way that I would explain deceit is that it is, deceit is is self-centered lies, okay? They're lies that are based on me. They might be about me, but they might also be about others to make me look better, okay? They're self-centered lies that at the end of the day winds up belittling and dismissing the image of God in people, right? It's kind of the way I would put it. Uh, it. It's a it's a really interesting inner lie that you've believed that you've lived with. It could be if it's focused on you, it could be something like, I, "I really am worthless. I really am too stupid to get this. I really am not lovable." Right? That's when it's more based on you, and it's based on somebody else. It kind of sounds the same line, the same way. I think I did this last week, like. That person is so stupid they can't see past the tip of their nose, right? I've actually said those words this week about somebody, and I don't know who it is. Yeah, I actually did. I'm certain of it. It's in a text message somewhere. So I'm even convicted in the moment that I do this, right? Um, Mine was more outward. It was in a text message about somebody else dismissing the image of God in someone. This is the way that deceit comes out. And really, the only reason I sent that text message is because I was frustrated that that person wasn't doing what I thought they should do. I'm still pretty sure they should do what I told them they should do, but my response, better yet, my reaction, right? My reaction, what did it show? It showed deceit coming out on the outside. How about hypocrisy? Let's move on to that because we've dug around on deceit long enough. Hypocrisy. Well, what is hypocrisy? right there's lots of ways we describe i can't tell you how many times i heard people say oh, i never go to church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there thank you for staying away because you just add one more hypocrite to the pile there's all of us in this rumor of hypocrites right we set up these little self-glorying rules we try to manage them and then we break them and then we point fingers at others for breaking those very same rules hypocrisy is it's kind of like a legal code that's what it is deep down inside it's a legal code that makes everyone else into failures you are a failure. In light of my own self-regulated perfection right and it's weird because we have this really weird way of like covering it up a little bit like oh, i i really am a sinner everybody makes mistakes every human kind of fails but you my friend you my friend shame on you oh it's supposed to go like this shame on you right that's the legal code we try to make everybody live by it how about envy what is envy this one's kind of an easy one for us right envy Envy is jealousy over what everyone else has that you wish that you had. Now, that could range from a lot of different things, right? For a pastor, it could range from the size of a congregation to the size of the church budget to the amount of staff to preaching skills. Like, I'm never going to be Matt Chandler. That's all there is to it. Matt Chandler is in his own little world. I'm not Matt Chandler. <laughs> I don't need to be Matt Chandler. You know why? Because God made me to be me. That's a beautiful thing. Now, put it into the rest of the real world that we all live in, we start to envy other people's marriages, start to envy other people's kids, other people's education, other people's houses, cars, trucks, motorcycles, whatever. It's envy. How often do you live there? How about slander? You know what slander is? Slander is malicious gossip, OK? Gossip is like, hey, did you hear what's going on in this person's life? Slander takes gossip a step further and says, did you hear what's going on in this person's life? Can you believe they would act that way? Man, I just can't believe them. See how it's taken a step further? Slander is malicious talk about other people. Here's the thing that uh, Peter knows, and I've given you a description of some of those things. I would encourage you to do some of the word search. Take each one of those words, one day this week, do a word search from the back of your Bible, find all the passages that talk about those things. I just told you earlier, you ought to be in your word daily, right? Now I'm giving you some very practical ways this week that you can get into your word and let the rake of God's word till up your heart. Peter knows that malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and slander, they're just the kind of trash that will poison the soil of the heart where the seeds of pure love need to grow into beautiful active flowers. That's why Peter basically says, hey, active love needs to take out the trash, right? Look at the last thing he says. (coughs) In verses 2 and 3, the last thing he says is the act of love is nurtured by the gospel. And some of you are like, wait a minute, we were already here. No, we weren't here. We've been here all along. We've been here all along, right? We started here, kind of, think about this. We started by saying the act of love begins with obedience to the gospel. We're also going to say at the very end here, that act of love is nurtured by the gospel. Biblical authors do this often. Um, authors do this often, often, authors often do this often, okay? What they do is they put, um, you could say bookends um, at, the, at the ends of, of things they're trying to teach. So trying to drive something home means that everything inside is encased inside of these two statements, right? First one begins with the gospel, oh, over here for you guys. First one begins with the gospel. At the end of the whole teaching, it is nurtured by the gospel, and you'll see the, God, you see the gospel all throughout the teaching inside, in all the pages of this little pamphlet today. Okay? Just to give you a word image. So what Peter wants here is he wants his readers, are reading this little pamphlet today, he wants them to grow up into mature, loving, adult children of God. Those words were picked carefully, and the great thing is they're not mine they're from a commentary and they're footnoted and you can go find it from somebody else because that guy's a lot smarter than me. This is what Peter wants. I will say it again. He wants his readers to grow up, right, into mature, loving, catch these two words together, adult children. What? Adult children of God. He wants you and I to remember the act of love, Act of love begins with obeying the truth of the gospel, right? And then it moves on. It must be cultivated by God's living word. It must also at the same time take the trash out. But then at the same time, it's got to be nurtured by the gospel as we, what? Look at verses 2 and 3. As we, like newborn infants. Now he brings this image of infants in there. Newborns. We've got a newborn infant right up here. Only how old? A few weeks. A month. That's close. Month, right? Like newborn infants, he says, long desire for the pure spiritual milk that by it, by what? The pure spiritual milk, you may grow up into what? Salvation. Dash, in my Bible, if, conditional clause again, if indeed you have tasted. That the Lord is good. It's interesting use of analogies. I mean, Peter does so good, like, bringing all these different word pictures to mind, right? You got seed, you got the idea of cultivating and tilling things up, and you got getting the trash out, and now you have this other image in your mind where you hear that we're to be like babies who are growing up, who long and desire for good spiritual milk. If, indeed, you have tasted that milk and that milk is actually good, It begins there and it's nurtured there you have to continue believing that the milk of the gospel is good for you right active love is nurtured by the gospel if you have in fact tasted the love of god in the cross of christ it's real easy for people to say yeah i know jesus died for my sins yeah do you do you really know that do you really understand how bad of a sinner you and i really are If you know how bad of a sinner you and I really are, then when you say, Jesus died for my sins, it actually means something. And it creates a longing and a desire inside of you that is similar to a baby who just wants to drink some really good sweet milk. We've seen babies throw fits, right? When they're upset and they don't have something to eat. When was the last time you threw a fit because you couldn't read God's word? When? Just like, when did you end the day or the week and go, I need to throw myself on the floor and throw a kick and scream and fit because dust just grew on my Bible this week. When? See, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, then that would be you. If you've tasted that the Lord is good because you recognize the depth of your sin and you recognize the awesomeness of His goodness, then, 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 you might throw that fit. You might want to read God's word. See, here's the thing. If you stop feeding a baby, what happens? Well, they throw a fit, right? We talked about that. What else happens, though, after the fit is over? They're worn themselves out. Like, if you never feed that baby the milk the baby needs, he or she is going to get sick. Agreed? If you don't read your Bible and you don't nurture yourself with the gospel, you're going to get sick. What else could happen? If it goes on long enough and you don't eventually finally feed that baby, what happens to that sick baby? A baby could die, right? Pretty practical and simple. Here's the thing for us. For us, unlike babies who move on from milk to whole foods, we, as, as spiritual creatures, we, we must never move on from the milk and the meat of the gospel. That's the great thing about the gospel. It's not only the milk, it's also the meat for us. See, so many people today believe that they can begin with the gospel and then move on to some other spiritual whole food, when in reality, the Bible from front to back and all the way through, it teaches us that it is the gospel that actually gets us started. And it's also the gospel that keeps us growing. The only way that you and I are going to grow up into salvation and grow into actively loving others when the emotions And the feelings and the payoff sucks is if you and I nurture the soil of our hearts with the gospel, right? You could say fertilize. I would say nurture. How do you do this? That's kind of the final question. How do you nurture your heart with the gospel? Well, I've been saying the whole time, do something really practical, like pick up your Bible and read it, do a word study, yada, yada, right? I've given you lots of really great teasers, kind of like teasers for movies that you could watch when you go home, right? How do you nurture your heart with the gospel? When you're reading the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, here's three very simple words that you should write down. Okay, everybody got your pen? If not your pen, just pretend like you have a pen. Like, help me feel justified in what I'm about to do for you. (laughs) Three really simple words. When you're reading your Bible, when you're living your life throughout the day, you ready for this? This is a big bombshell, okay? Think about Jesus. think about Jesus that might seem like why are you pressing that point here's the reason why when we come to the Bible because we have love dysfunctions who do we initially think about you don't think about me I think about me Okay. you, you think about you when you come to the Bible You think about you and all your problems and all your good things and whatever. When you read the Bible, think about Jesus. Behold the work of Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, right? Jesus died the death that you and I should have died. He loved us so much that he would actually bear the abuse of the cross in our place. He didn't just emotionally feel this thing, right? He actively lived out what love looks like. Jesus didn't get anything in return from us when He loved you and I at the cross. What Jesus did is He poured out every ounce of His life in active love for you and I. This is what it means to nurture your active love with the Gospel. is to think about Jesus. So as I wrap up, When you think about the fact that uh, we live in a world uh, that is full of of this fleeting love of emotions and feelings and transactions, when you think that's the garbage that we're getting fed every day, what you and I need is a better vision, right? We need a better vision for active love. We need the DC Talk song. Um, We need the Family Force 5 song. We need the passage from 1 Corinthians 13, which I intentionally did not read today. You know why? Because on Valentine's Day, I'm thankful you read it earlier, Patrick, but on Valentine's Day, it would be very common for a preacher to stand on the pulpit and say, today is Valentine's Day, love y'all, let's love this way, right? That would be very common. The reason that I didn't read it is I want you to go home and read it for yourself, right? The Bible is full of this stuff all over the place, If if active love begins with obedience to the truth of the gospel, if active love is cultivated by God's word, if it's true that active love actually takes out the trash, and if it's true that active love must be cultivated and nurtured by the gospel, then where are you going to find that vision, that picture at, of what true active love looks like? I try to land us here every week. Um, ask the Holy Spirit to land us here every week and here's the place the place is at the foot of a bloody cross you never move on from that it's in the doorway of an empty tomb right it's holding on to the promise of the hope of heaven that's where you and I are actually going to find a true vision of active love and you find it in the presence of the person and the work of Jesus Christ Jesus really is the only essence of active love that you and I need so I encourage you to land there as we close let me pray for us, Jesus, thank you for our time together today pray guys, as we close that you would draw us to the foot of that bloody cross set us down in the doorway of the empty tomb and remind us of the hope of heaven help us to think about Jesus as we close Amen You're listening to an audio message from the well